let me get this thing started. Uh, welcome, everybody, to episode six of the Flashpoint Podcast. My name is Owen Higgins. I am your host. And you can also find us print version at owenhiggins.substack.com. That's E-O-I-N-H-I-G-G-I-N-S.substack.com. Yeah, episode six. That's pretty wild. I've uh, been doing this for three weeks. Just a note on that some upcoming stuff that we have. So next Tuesday, December 28th at 4 p.m., I'm going to be talking with the writer Jeet here. I'm going to kind of do like a little bit of a year in review for politics kind of thing, uh, chat a little bit about different right-wing commentators, uh, some of whom may or may not be on this app. And then on Wednesday the 29th, I'm going to be joined by Edward Angueso, the vice tech reporter. We're going to talk about the year in tech. We're going to talk about NFTs. Uh, we're going to talk about different mergers, business of tech, all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, in the meantime, uh, if you want to follow my work, you can check out the newsletter. As I said, one of the big projects that I have coming down the line is going to be a piece on how catastrophe has shaped people's progressive politics. Now, uh, for those of you who have been following along, you know that this is going to be the third one in a series. The first two, the first one was kind of about the Democratic Party and its failures, really kind of focusing on Obama and a little bit on Bernie as well. And that article uh, spawned episode uh, four of the Flashpoint podcast, where I spoke to a couple of different people about why they stepped away from the Democratic Party and also why they stepped away from electoral politics and were moving even further away from that. Um, the second one was more of, you know, just, just a general look at how changes in people's lives affected them and, and, and affected their politics. And But this one, the third one, is going to be a lot less cheery, not that the first two are particularly uplifting, but it's going to be pretty pretty rough, I think. We're going to talk about some pretty pretty tough stuff. So, But I would really love it if, if you guys would check that out. Uh, we may be hearing from one of the people who I talked to for that later. I'm not sure if she's going to be able to join us or not, but if she can, we'll definitely get her in. All right. So, uh, yeah, I advertise this as kind of event session, sort of like a Festivus airing of grievances. Hopefully we're going to have a few people come in and chat a little bit. But in the meantime, uh, while we wait, and I have walkers on the line, but I'm, I'm going to wait a couple of minutes before I go to Walker. I just want to play a couple things here. Um, so the first thing that I'm going to play, this is a grievance that I have, I guess, is Eric Adams, new mayor of New York, basically saying that if you haven't been a cop, you are not allowed to criticize him. So I'll just play this clip real quick. Continue to say Eric supports solitary confinement. That is just a lie. I support punitive segregation. I am not going to be in a city where dangerous people assault innocent people, go to jail, and assault more people. You cannot have a jail system 
where someone sexually assault a staffer, slash a, an inmate, and then say, it is all right, I'm going to give you an iPad and just hug you and say, don't do it again. No, if you are violent, you must be removed from population so that you don't inflict, inflict violence on other people. That's clear. If you want to work as a partner, call me. Hear my, my understandings and my belief. The one thing that's different from everyone that signed the letter, letter and Eric Adams, I wore a bulletproof vest for 22 years and protected the people of this city. And when you do that, then you have the right to question me on safety and public safety matters. I think I know a little something about this. So that's uh, disturbing. Uh <laughs> To say the least, I mean, that's basically Adam saying that because he's a cop, he's not going to be challenged on any of these decisions that he's making. The one particular one that he's speaking about here, uh, solitary confinement at, I, I believe it's at Rikers. It's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's completely inexcusable. I don't really know you know, what New York is going to look like under this guy. I don't live in New York, but... Uh, uh, you know, I'm just going to say, for those of you who do, I know Walker does, and, and we'll hear from him in a minute. That is that is not not sounding good. So, so that's grievance number one. Grievance number two is going to be for RFK Jr. Let's listen to RFK Jr. talking to Jimmy Dore here. Um, this is just incoherent, absolutely incoherent anti-vax babble. I mean, you guys got to really hear this to even understand it. It's from COVID. <laughs> In order to save one person from dying from COVID, they have to give 22,000 people vaccines. Now, if you're going to do that, you got to make sure that none of those vaccines are going to kill anybody. Because if one of them kills anybody, then you cancel out the entire benefit of the program. So, but here, unfortunately, is what their own data show. This, this, you can look at my first chapter of my book. Their table has four is there with the explanations. Um, and that table shows in the placebo group, there were 14,000 deaths of the 22,000 people over six months. And in the vaccine group, there were 20 deaths. I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm just pausing this for a second. Like, I don't even understand what he's talking about here. 14,000 people out of 22,000 people. Uh, obviously, if this had really happened, uh, this would be something that we would hear about. Anyway. Of the 22,000. So that means that if you get the vaccine, you are 48% more likely to die over the next six months than if you don't. That's called all course mortality. What were they dying of? As it turns out, almost all of the excess deaths were heart attacks. So in the vaccine group, there were five fatal heart attacks over six months. In the placebo group, only one. What that means is if you get that vaccine, you're 500% more likely to die of a heart attack over the next six months. And it also means that if you, that for every life that they save from COVID, they are killing poor, poor people from heart attacks. I mean, again, I'm sorry to interrupt this again, but this is insane. This is just absolutely insane. The, the the data obviously doesn't show this. Um, I'm sorry. We'll just we'll just keep going with this. I it, this stuff is just really drives me nuts. Though. 
And we are seeing these heart attacks in the proposed licensing surveillance system and VAERS in the British system, National Health System has found 25% rise in fatal heart attacks in Scotland since the rollout of the vaccines. We're seeing in our country these death rates from this vaccine that are unprecedented. More deaths associated reported to VAERS over the last 10 months then 20,000 deaths, more than all the deaths from every billions of vaccines combined over 33 years. I, and so when do when do you do you think that America will ever wake up to this? OK, so 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 two things here. One, the website that he's referring to, VAERS, is I mean, it, it, it has zero credibility. It's a lunatic crank anti-vax website that uh, purports to show quote unquote like vaccine injury uh uses completely questionable data i mean he, like he, so he's using this uh you know source as as some kind of an excuse uh for for the for the crazy bullshit uh, that he's spouting here and of course you'll hear there at the end the voice of jimmy Dore, who has now basically just become a total anti-vax crank. And for those of you who don't know Dora, who Dora is, Dora, a marginally talented comedian who uh, kind of stumbled into a quote-unquote like progressive media career through the Young Turks, uh, now has a podcast, YouTube show, Rumble show. You know, he has a whole bunch of different media stuff. He has, he has a large following. And basically what he does is he just spreads these kinds of lunatic uh, conspiracy theories and uh, just very angry reactionary politics. You know, parts of it, some of it you could probably kind of get all, get along with, like, you know, obviously going against uh, the Democratic Party is fine. Uh, it's it's much better than, than than endorsing, you know, the stuff that they do out of hand. Um, but basically what Jimmy says is that everything's a conspiracy against you. And now he's just completely devolved into this. I mean, I don't even know what to call it. it it's, it's, it's certainly uh, a, a version of anti-vax that is just, I, I think so, somebody showed on Twitter that, that that's all his channel is now. It's just, it's just pure anti-vax. So, that's, uh, I mean, that's just not only a grievance for today, that's just a general grievance. And I guess the third one is obviously Joe Manchin and the people who are still somehow saying that he and his daughter Heather Bresch, who used her position uh, in pharmaceutical company, I think it was Mylan, to price gouge EpiPen. And she's largely escaped scrutiny and investigation for that. And obviously... Uh, or she's escaped scrutiny investigation for doing that and for using her family connections in Congress to lobby lawmakers. There are a lot of questions about what she did. There's a great New Yorker article about this. Ryan Graham also had a recent uh, great intercept piece about her as well. Just all of this shady stuff that Manchin and his family have gotten up to. And of course, there's been no investigations and no consequences because he's a powerful Democrat and because they think that they need him and they need him to pass legislation. Well, my position is that at this point, 
uh, Joe Manchin is not helping them pass legislation, no matter what he's saying now about the Build Back Better bill, that he's already stripped down more than half of, of the insufficient amount of $5 trillion that Joe Biden had in the first place. Uh, so, you know, there, there's no reason to not hold this guy accountable and not to investigate uh, the, the misdeeds of both him and his his daughter. So why not just do it? Obviously, some people, including uh, heads of so-called anti-corruption progressive organizations, disagree with this for a number of ever-changing reasons. Anyway, so those are the three things that have been annoying me, grinding my gears, whatever, recently. And I think I'm going to invite Walker in here because I know that he has some stuff that he's going to want to vent about. And, and of course, uh, any of you guys can jump in as well. If you want, just uh, just jump in the caller queue or you can just listen to us talk, whichever one is totally fine. All right. Uh, Walker should be all set here, buddy. Let me know when you can talk. Can you hear me? I can hear you. We're good to go. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, you know, each one of your you got some pretty good grievances. Those are those are those are really good. Um I do have I do have one of my own that I'd like to talk about, which is the uh the White House pre- the press briefing by the White House COVID-19 response team and public health officials from December 17th. Uh so just a, just a few days ago, the uh the White House the very Yes. Uh, well, the whole thing was a train wreck. <laughs> but my my problem is that they this is this is the official White House response to COVID. I'm going to quote them. Quote: We are intent on not letting Omicron disrupt work and school for the vaccinated. You've done the right thing, and we will get through this. For the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death for yourselves your families, and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. Now, <laughs> let's, let's fast forward to today when Biden gave his you know, official address on, on COVID. And uh, coughing all the way through it, he, he, he said that we're going to buff up hospitals. We're going to you know, s- staff hospitals uh, so that they can handle the surge. And we're going to have uh, buffed up testing program as well. Um, but that's, that's really it. So what's frustrating about this for me is sort of, it's three things. One, if we continue allowing this virus to spread, which is our official plan right now, we're going to let it spread and we're just going to try to mop up afterward and make sure that, you know, hospitals don't get overwhelmed. Uh, if we don't, if we don't control the spread, that's how this thing mutates. It's already shown an ability to mutate. Uh, Omicron is the latest in the you know string of variants that um, seem to seem to be increasingly resistant to vaccines and uh, increasingly contagious, um, and so so that's just a bad idea to let it to let it spread. That's my first that's my first thought on this. Yeah, I mean, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You you go ahead, and then I'll ask you some questions. I'll, 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 I'll make this quick. The second one, the second issue with this is that you're the federal government of the United States and you're essentially saying, you know, we're not going to try anything different. If you don't get vaccinated, you're going to die. Like that's, that is not a federal response. That is, 
that is an abdication of responsibility to protect the many children who aren't vaccinated, the immunocompromised, and frankly, the uh, people who have fallen through the cracks of, let's say, our education uh, systems and, and have been failed by media and a whole lot of a whole lot of issues as to why people are so, I guess, cranked up on this vaccine disinformation and so and so ready to fall victim to it. I mean, these are systemic failures and we're essentially trying to punish people for them. I have no problem with mandates. I have no problem with any of that stuff. I'd like to see more of them. I'd like to see, you know, people paid to stay home, essential workers get hazard pay. Anyway, that, that, that's my grievance. It's, I think it's completely shameful and what a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the response to COVID in general, I think from the government has been a bipartisan affair of just total crap for sure. Um, you know, I am I am kind of curious. I know that you've you've tangled with some anti-vaxxers like uh, Bill Clinton fixer Sidney Blumenthal's child Max about <laughs> um, you know doing lockdowns and and your kind of prescriptive uh, ideas of of how to approach this disease and and its its continuing spread. Um, I am actually kind of glad that we're talking now, even though it's not really like grievance related, but I am kind of interested in how, how you kind of see that kind of a lockdown working at this point where, you know, it's, it's now December. We're we're heading into like year two, right? Year two is going to be here in like three months of, of this. And it doesn't seem like there's really been any kind of way to deal with it. That makes much sense. So where are you at with that? I mean, do you think that a lockdown is still, do you think that there's a way to do a lockdown at this point? Do you think that maybe it's just time to just see, I mean, because the way that the white house is approaching it with that fucking callous uh, statement there is really them saying we're giving up. If you're vaccinated, you're good. If you're not, whatever. And you know, you guys are going to go to work and your kids are going to go to school and that's all. Look, I, I don't know if uh, if Congress were to order a national lockdown tomorrow and say no uh, non-essential businesses can be open across America. And uh, I mean, first of all, you'd face legal challenge. Now, I, I have in the course of my reporting spoken to a number of constitutional law professors, and they all have told me essentially the same thing that, the, you know, this court might not be super friendly to that. But generally speaking, that is within Congress's commerce power. And I happen to agree. <laughs> um, you know, I would, as a, just a, a JD, I do agree with that assessment, but that said, um, I think that there are steps that we could take short of that. That would be effective. If, if we had a, uh, a national, I guess, stay at home, recommendation and the federal government was paying monthly stimulus checks to people like $2,000 checks every month to every American. We do. First of all, we completely eliminate poverty as we define it. We would eliminate poverty. If everyone were getting a $2,000 stimulus check every month, that would be, I mean, it would be an unprecedented amount of relief and 
it would be radically life-changing for a lot of, a lot of Americans. Um, I think that there's a reason why our federal government does not do that. I think that if, if you show people that government can help them, that can make their lives radically better, there will be a demand for it to do that. Um, and there will be uh, disruptions to, say, the labor market, where people realize, wait a minute, my job pays me like shit. <laughs> uh, why, am I, why am I risking my family and my, my health for uh, a job that doesn't provide me adequate benefits or isn't what I want to do with my life? And, um, you know, we've, we've gotten a taste of that even with the inadequate aid that we've gotten. So I'm, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's interesting. I'm just going to interrupt here. Um, it, it's, yeah, it's interesting because I was just on social media. I was just chatting with somebody who I went to high school with and they were talking about how, you know, all of the businesses in the area that they live in now are, are shuttered or like nobody has enough help. And, and, you know, there's not enough, there's, there's not an opportunity for these service jobs or restaurant jobs to be filled. Um, and, and this was, this was kind of not really so much of a, this person wasn't so much like going on a rant about this, but they were more just saying, what's going on? Like, why is this universal in this area? And this, the area that they're in is, is a, is a heavily tourist area. So there is always going to be some drop off once, winter comes, but this has been kind of unprecedented. And so we were talking about it. And one of the things that I said was like, you know, look, I, I, I talked to a lot of people, a lot of workers, um, who, who are, uh, I talked to a lot of workers who, who, who are frustrated with, with the way that they've been treated over the past you know, however many years, decades that they've been working in these businesses and unemployment insurance has given them the opportunity to, you know, kind of like explore different avenues or know what their labor is worth. And the response to this, uh, which I thought was, was fair, even though like, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily agree with it, but the response was like, look, um, to me, I like, I get it, but it's, you know, like these businesses still, some of them still need to be in operation in order to serve me and the other, the other people who, who live in, in the area. Anyway, what I'm trying to get at is that even with that insufficient amount of aid, I realized that I kind of like started digressing there a little bit, but even, even with the limited amount of aid that we've already received, people have started to realize that their labor is worth more than they're getting paid for it. And they've started to, look at different ways of interacting with the labor market. And this isn't just happening, you know, in the service industry, it's happening, you know, we're seeing, I wouldn't exactly call it a strike wave, but we're seeing a lot of labor unrest going on in the country. Things are changing. And, you know, I guess I, I'm just kind of curious, like where, where you see all this going with COVID coming back especially if Omicron is, is harsher than, than we think it is. Although it does look like it may not be. Anyway, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll just let you talk a little bit here, uh, Walker. Well, I, I think that you're, first of all, I, I just want to say that you've done fantastic reporting uh, on 
on th- these kinds of issues. And I, it's, it's really, you know, that's not just me fluffing you up. That's that I'm, I, I mean it like you've done the quality of reporting that I strive to do myself. So no, it's, it's, really kind of it's, it's really, it, it is a pleasure to read. Um, here's a plug for flashpoint. Uh, but Look, I think I think the pandemic has made uh, has opened a lot of people's eyes to sort of the nature of of uh, capitalism in America today. Uh, the, the the way that the way that uh, labor is valued. Um, the most the most essential people are the ones who get paid the least and take the most risk. I mean, that's how how does that work? Um, how does that, how does that work long term, and how does that, how does that hold up in a crisis? So I think that's one motivator to get things back to normal. I mean, and I've got, I've got a piece coming out tomorrow, a deep dive into the, uh, business backed efforts to get America open. So, yeah. Um, so let's, so let's talk about that in a second here. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, how much, how, how much can you talk about that? Uh, I pretty much what I just said. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil anything. I just want to. I just want to say that you know the push to get everything open is de- is definitely coming from big business, um, in and impacted industries. And you hear a lot of people say, "Oh, the lockdowns or whatever they've really helped. Uh, they helped big tech." And it's like they helped companies that had online marketplaces because, or maybe maybe you could say they've helped. Maybe they haven't. Who who knows? I mean, the lockdown periods were like what a matter of weeks. The pandemic has helped companies with online marketplaces because nobody wants to go in and risk, you know, shopping in person. Nobody wants to, to die to get that sweater, or whatever, you know, thrift store they're, they're going to go into. Um, but I, I do getting back on, on this point about, about labor. And this, this is a moment where the progressive left really could show that there is an alternative governing theory to neoliberalism, right? Like our, our pandemic response as it is today is very much in line with the neoliberal prescription. It's rely on the private sector, rely on the states to, to make their own calls. And we're going to just, as the federal government, we're going to step back and we're, we'll, we'll throw money at, at business, but we're, we're going to really step back. And we're only going to provide enough aid to keep people from like rioting. Um, but this, this, this is something that, like, if progressives came in and said, we're going to pay people to stay home, we're going to guarantee paid sick leave, we're going to um, provide hazard pay to essential workers and frontline workers so that they are not the worst paid people in, the, in, our, in our country. We're going to make sure that nobody has to choose between their health and their, and their income. That would be a massive, that would be a tectonic shift in how American government has operated for the last 50 years. Really? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so, so I agree with you, right. In principle, but I think that, and, and because I feel like I had to push back on this a little bit, um, because I feel like what you're saying, it, like y- you are presenting a best case scenario for how progressives should respond to, you know, to this once in a lifetime crisis, this total uh, catastrophe. At least what they right, should be demanding, right, right? Not necessarily what they what what will happen, but what they should be demanding. I mean, this. But that's we, but that's people, all that's all well and good. But but and, and and I'm really just playing devil's advocate here. But that's all well and good, right? But this has been going on now for 21 months. You know, at, at this point, like 
Right. Shouldn't shouldn't there be a different political approach now? Shouldn't shouldn't the approach be less about, hey, this is how we should manage this and and be more like, hey, this is the material reality of the situation here. This is the way that the government is going to handle this in at least in the short term. And we need to kind of manage our expectations and manage the the political demands that we make around that. How how do you respond to that idea that that maybe it's time to give up? Well, I would say the same thing about Medicare for all or any of the progressive priorities that have been not political, not have, that have not been political realities for, I mean, I mean, ever really like single payer healthcare in America. That's, that's not happening anytime soon. And yet you still see the same, the same, many of the same people who make that argument, you still see them out there. Like, I can't believe progressives in the house didn't force the vote. And like, you know, full disclosure, I, I agreed with, with that as part of the strategy. I think they should have, but uh, it's just, it's sort of, it's funny to me and also sort of, and also very disappointing, um, to see people make that argument who fight for things that are lo- very lofty and far away goals, like doing anything meaningful about climate change is another one of those things. The reality, I, I think the material reality we should be focused on right now is the fact that 800,000 Americans have died by the official count, more than 800,000. And every every week there are there are thousands more that that die from this virus, and our approach to to it hasn't changed. And until until that reality changes, no, I don't think we should give up on on talking about what the ideal response should be versus what we are doing. Because to me, it's the biggest political scandal of my lifetime. We are sacrificing workers on the altar of corporate profits. And and we're doing it openly and and uh, and in in the in people's faces and uh, yeah that's that's where I'm at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you, you so you live in New York. I'm gonna switch up. This is getting a little a little uh, bleak for me. Even though <laughs> even though I know I know that we're not you know we're not talking about like uh, particularly pleasant stuff here. But uh, shit just got a little too real. Um, so you live in New York, right? You live in the city. I do. I live in Brooklyn. So what's your uh, what's your take on Eric Adams and, and about that clip that I played? Uh, and, and for those of you who weren't here at the top of the show, the, it, this is a clip from today with Eric Adams basically saying uh, he, he's talking about solitary confinement and he's talking about how he supports it as a punitive policy for people who are in prison. Um, and then, you know, the response is, you know, he's been criticized on this and he effectively says, if you haven't been a cop, you have absolutely no right to criticize me on public safety, which is just, you know, a, a, a pretty generally terrifying thing to hear from somebody who is in power like that. But yeah, so Walker, you know, as somebody who lives in New York, uh, at, you know, somebody who's probably not going to end up in solitary confinement, but nonetheless, what do you think when you hear your mayor saying that? What do you think that you're going to be experiencing for the next, what is it, a four-year t- term? Is that right? I believe so. I, yeah, it reminded me of Giuliani. I think, was it was it you who said that? Worst mayor since Rudy? Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, 
I don't know when this, I, I think, or maybe, maybe I do ever since Trump, every, every blowhard, like dude politician has, has tried to be like the tough guy, the resolver, the whatever, maybe it was before, maybe it was before Trump, maybe just, maybe Trump just did it better. Uh, but like, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just like, dude, I watched that clip. I had to watch it several times. It's just like, what? Like, why? <laughs> who, who, who is this for? Who are you trying to impress with this? It's- well, that is, I mean, like, that's the question, right? Because I can't, I'm having trouble understanding that when I'm listening to that. Like, like Trump, because you bring up Trump, but, but Trump had a very specific audience that he was speaking to. You know, tr- like, who, who does, we're going to have more solitary in Rikers appeal to <laughs> other than the kind of voters who aren't going to support him or don't really care anyway. I mean, I, you know, I, I have lived in New York, so I know what it's like there politically a little bit, which is basically that you have a couple factions and no amount of like triangulation or changing around is going to get that many of these people behind you. And somebody like Eric Adams, if he goes up against somebody like Curtis Silva of the people who bother to vote, the people who are going to vote for him and the people who are going to vote against him are not going, their minds are not going to be changed either way. And the cops are probably not going to vote for him anyway. So like you said, yeah, who is this for? Who's it for? Like, who is he trying to appeal to? It's just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very toxic. I mean, it's, it's this sort of like, uh, I hate, I, I hate to use it, the phrase, but it is toxic masculinity. It's like, you're, you're trying to bolster your image at the expense of, of human beings. <laughs> like, like real people will suffer for this guy's, uh, you know, need to, to, to seem tough. And that's, that's something that's always bothered me about these like retributive justice types. Like, you're you're doing this for you and you're making other other human beings suffer that's going through law school one of the there there's you know there, in criminal law one of the things that we learned about is like different styles of of uh, criminal justice and wh- how how to approach it and re- retributive is just so stupid <laughs> you know like, yeah, it's just yeah. it's stupid I, I don't know. Eric Adams no, is like, no, no, is no. like the uh, the thinking man's Trump, I guess. Yeah. What's uh, speaking more about New York in general? Um, you know, what's it like there right now? I because I, I know that it seems like almost everybody I know there, obviously, present company I think excluded, um, and and maybe one or two other people, but it seems like everybody is catching. I'm in this uh, group chat, and I feel like a couple of days ago it seemed like four or five people just instantly instantly caught uh the virus what's <laughs> funny you should funny you should say that i'm i'm currently uh quarantining because i have a cough and um mild cold symptoms so no, it's weird because you sound yeah bad. no it's um <clears throat> i've been i i've had some cough drops and I'm, I'm i'm drinking water so it's uh so that's keeping it sort of at bay but yeah so i but, but I mean, is it, is it like, you know, are, are the ambulances going again? Like, are you hearing that? Because I know that it doesn't seem like Omicron is quite as severe. So, but, you know, and, and a lot of people in New York are obviously vaccinated. But what's, what's the light there right now? 
we're not hearing the ambulances um, as much, but that is subject to change. I mean, you know, who, who knows what's, what is going to happen? I hope it is, I hope it is less severe, but uh, if it spreads a lot, and like a lot quicker, which it, it's, it definitely does, we could still see a like historic surge on our hospitals. And um, yeah, it's really bad. I feel, I feel bad for my friends who work in, in hospitals. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's sort of where I'm at. Otherwise I'm, I'm quarantining. Yeah. And, um, my fiance just got permission from her company to work remotely. So, so we're okay on that front. Well, yeah, that's great. You know, um, I, I spoke to, um, a nurse, uh, in, in Maine, uh, yesterday, uh, for, for, for a times report that I did some string for. And, she was telling me that in, in in New England, in Maine, already the the hospitals are filling up. Maine is getting hit, Maine and New York City, I think, are getting hit the hardest right now, which is interesting because they both have such high rates of vaccination, which is kind of part of like the idea behind the story. Like, why is this happening when when people are 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 doing the right thing? But nonetheless, it is uh, and. Yeah, it's just been it's just been really interesting to to just see the way that the healthcare system is is becoming overtaxed already, and even if it's like Omicron isn't quite as severe, like you were saying, the spread is going pretty fast. So it's 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 making its its self known in that way. Uh, let's 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 move on a little bit to uh, to politics, like we started talking about talking about Mansion. You're still doing work with Daily Poster, right? And you're doing some work with with Exposed by CMD as well. Staff writer at Daily Poster, baby. That's right. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yep. So what do you guys uh, so... think about this? Like, t- t- what's your scoop? Tell me, tell me what you guys think about all of this uh, Mansion going back and forth. Well, I can't speak for I can't speak for the rest of the the team, but I can say that I I agree with you that it's time to start going after uh, Mansion and his his family. I mean, you know, with uh, investigations, I absolutely there is there's enough to warrant uh, legitimate investigations, and they they should happen. I mean, that's real, and frankly, that's the leverage that you have over this guy. Aside from I've I've said it many times, but you know, West Virginia has two military bases, and Biden could move those out could move them out of the state and call it his mansion order. Like, yeah, but I, it, but I, but I think I, I investigating think that, his family is much more is, is, is yeah, way I mean, more powerful. That seems to me like that, that's such an economic blow to the people there um, that, you know, un, unless you're doing it for the, in my opinion, like the right reason, which is that like, you know, the military is bad and military bases should be, uh, closed down anyway. That's my that's my peacenik approach to that. But you know, but <laughs> but if you're not doing it for that reason, I think that like the economic hit is too big. Like I understand what you're saying by the punitive uh, approach there to kind of you know drop the hammer on him a little bit. But I wonder if that's if that's the most fair uh, thing to do. Um, but but yeah, I mean, but you guys at Daily Poster have been just doing like pretty incredible work around BBB and about all of the different competing corporate and lobbying interests 
that are pushing Manchin and Cinema and, and other other politicians, both in the House and the Senate, to to take certain positions on these bills and to take positions on uh, you know against social spending for for reasons that I think it seems to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, kind of come back to the fact that they don't want to pay more taxes and that they know that that's eventually what's going to come down the line. Is is that an accurate read? Do you think? I think that's a that's totally an accurate read. I think that's yeah, that's exactly it. They ultimate that's what that's what this all boils down to. All of it, even the pandemic stuff too. Like you know that and and the fact that I think that I think that uh, they're afraid of of losing you know federal contracts and whatnot. Several businesses are afraid of, of that as well. But um, at least in terms of, of pandemic stuff, that's just my own personal suspicion. Um, but yeah, I think I think it all comes down to taxes, right? Like always, oh, we can't have this kind of social spending because then where are we going to have we get the money? Eventually, we're going to have to. They're going to look at us and our giant, you know, money bags, and uh, we we don't we don't want that. So that that's why they oppose it. How, how much <laughs> do you think is ideological? This is and this is something that I I often think about. Like, how much of this is about? just the straight up money like we're talking about but some of it surely has to be about it has have to have to do with ideological concerns right like they're uh the anti-vax push and obviously i'm not trying to get you to talk about your story that's coming out but the anti-vax push that's been promoted by so many people with so much uh so much money these libertarian billionaires um you know, from a certain point of view, wouldn't it be good to get everybody vaccinated and back into the workforce? But it seems like there's a bit of a resistance to that from some people uh, who are, you know, wealthy tech barons or or, or libertarian billionaires of, of <clears throat> financial whatever, right? That that they're opposed to this because they don't actually think that the government should have anything to do with this kind of distribution of resources. The reason that I'm bringing that up is I just find that, that that interplay really, really interesting. I'm wondering what your reporting has told you about that. Am I just totally off base on that? Is that really not a concern? Is it really just about material reality or, or is there some ideology? You know, the we didn't really get into the ideological uh, side of it. And, you know, you know, when you've, you've worked on a piece for like, uh, however long you've worked on it and you've, you've slaved over it and then you, you finish it and you're done. And then somebody brings something up and you're like, Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. That would have been a really good point to include. That's a good, that's a good, uh, a good point that yes, some of these, some of the people behind this are definitely ideological um, libertarian and, and, uh, and ideological. But on the other side of it, there, there is a, a business reason to oppose uh, those kinds of mandates, uh, which which we do discuss, um, or we do, we one of our one of our sources does touch on in the story. So uh, that's as much as I'll say about that. However, I, yeah. I did want I did want to say that. Have you ever watched um, or ask you? Have you ever watched the One Percent? It's a documentary from like two thousand six by Jamie Johnson, the heir to the Johnson and Johnson fortune. It, it rings a bell, but I don't know exactly. So, yeah, I, I don't. I, I, <clears throat> so it's definitely worth a watch if you haven't seen it um, or if you don't remember it. But 
like the libertarian ideology is sort of I I, I view it sort of as a, a justification that these people who have so much um, need to have in order to justify having so much, right? Like, like oh no, I'm I'm ideologically libertarian, which which tells me that being excessively wealthy and sucking resources away from people who desperately need them is is totally okay, like. I don't know as a human being how how somebody exists with that much wealth without some kind of um, mental acrobatics like libertarianism to justify it. So, yeah. Well, you do. I mean, you do have to. I think everybody everybody does have to do something to to justify this, justify whatever sacrifices or changes they they make. Right. Right, but if you're if you're somebody who who inherits a multi billion dollar fortune, you didn't have to work for that fortune. Uh, let's say because your your dad was an oil tycoon, um, and 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 you've had everything handed to you on a on a silver platter your entire life. You, you have to sort of uh, justify that to yourself somehow that you are deserving of that. Uh, otherwise, otherwise, you, what you. you <laughs> the moral, the, the the morality of it is is dubious. Um. Yeah, well, I, I think that I, I think that there are a couple of different ways that 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 people can go in that direction, right? I mean, you can either uh, you can either say, "Hey, I got this money because I was deserving," and so therefore, uh, I don't really like know a better way to put this, but just basically, you know, "Fuck you, I got mine," and that's it. Um, or you can, you know, to take take a kind of more charitable path with it and try and distribute it. But I think that ultimately, once you're in that position, I, I wonder how easy it is to live with yourself in a way that doesn't require some mental gymnastics. But like I was saying, I think that everybody has to do that in in some respect anyway. You know, the cell phone that I'm using to record this show relies on a mineral called coltan, which is primarily mined yeah. in the Congo. And that, you know, that mining is, is just, I mean, guys, if it, you know, for, for those of you listening live and for those of you going to be listening after, um, if you want, if you really want to know about coltan, look it up, but I'll, I'll tell you like some of the, some of the stuff you're going to find out about it is pretty disturbing. I would actually not recommend doing it if you, if you want to keep your brain uh, somewhat clear, um, it's but it's it's brutal. But but everything's like that. Almost every single thing that you look at in in your house when you go out, uh, all all materials that are used to construct the world that we live in, uh, the the entire consumer culture that relies on globalization that we live in. All of it kind of comes back to exploitation on some level or another. Uh, yeah, like I'm looking at the carpet right now. Like, it, like each individual part of the carpet that in order to put it together involves some exploitation on some level, whether it's the extraction of oil uh, in order to make the plastics or uh, the use of cheap labor in order to move it from one place to another. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, I'm kind of, that's that's a little bit of like a, yeah, a I, I mean, here, but, but 
I guess but there's I'm a difference that, between that, that kind of consumption. What you're talking about, there's a difference well, between that and being and being like, you know, Charles Coke. No, no, no. I, 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 I'm not being clear. I totally agree with that, and and of course there's a difference. But what I'm saying is that in the same micro way that everybody has to kind of compartmentalize uh, your knowledge about how all of this stuff gets to you or your knowledge about how all of this stuff is produced is the same actually kind of mentality that it takes for a very rich person to say, oh, well, or especially if it comes from inherited wealth, to say, I deserve this. Right. It's the same. It's the same mental gymnastics. It's just that it, it, we're just talking about macro yes. and micro scales. Right. Right. No, I, I agree with that. Um, but I think I think that's so I when you get when you get down to it, I think that it's still I mean, it's, it still goes back to taxes. Right. Like I deserve this. I don't want to lose this uh, really or really what it is, is I'm afraid of losing this. So. On the one hand, if I'm honest with myself, I don't deserve it. I inherited it. And what have I ever done with my life? So I'm going to become a philanthropist and I'm going to fight against, against efforts to take it away through taxes because, oh, I can give it away much better than the government can. I can spend my money much better than the government can. I think when you get right down to it, it's all, it all goes back to that fear of, of losing it. Uh, and 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 it, what you should, in that documentary where they uh, the one percent, I mean he goes to a wealth conference and they're talking about preserving family wealth for twelve generations, and that's that's terrifying. That that is absolutely horrific. Yeah, yeah. I mean, once you know, if if if, if you don't look at it in a detached kind of way, certainly. Um, but let's let's uh. Let's move a little bit back to uh, to Washington and what's going on with Build Back Better. Especially have about like ten minutes left here. Um, if anybody else wants to jump on, just just right. uh, just just let us know. But otherwise, we'll be wrapping at ten thirty. Um, so, where do you see? Because you know, staff writer for the Daily Poster. Obviously, uh, you're more keyed into this DC stuff uh, certainly than I am because I do I, I do different kind of reporting. Um, where do you see negotiations going right now? Do you think the mansion is really coming back to the table or do you think that this is just another, uh, another kind of bait and I mean, this, this hasn't really been my beat as much as it has uh, my, my colleagues. My, I've, I've done much of the, much of my reporting is focused on, on the pandemic and, and our response to it. So uh, you should have one of them on and definitely. Okay. Uh, okay. Can give you a sure. much a much better answer than I can. Uh, my my my, my your... opinion on this is that it's dead. I, I I've thought it as soon as they decoupled those bills, I figured that Build Back Better or whatever the spirit of Build Back Better or whatever it was intended to be was dead. That as soon as that happened, um, yeah, I think I think it was a, a you know master legislator. <laughs> Uh, Nancy Pelosi, when she when she secure when she got the uh, the bipartisan bill through without without the um, the Build Back Better the larger spending package, that was the death that was the death knell for it. Yeah, yeah, it it, it 
I, I, you said it us, at the time too. I remember I, I think you lot, tweeted it. You said you said I, it's safe to assume this is dead, right? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, but I was trying not to be like super black pill. That's why I put the, uh, the question mark there. But yeah, I mean, it, but you know. I mean, I, I usually take the more cynical approach to this kind of stuff for sure. Um, and and it's it's quite frustrating to see the statements coming out of the Congressional Progressive Caucus still uh, saying that they think that this was the right move to make. But um, but no, I mean, it's it's embarrassing. You don't have the votes. Just say we didn't have the yeah. votes to stop it. Just acknowledge it. I, yeah, I mean, I've heard we, that. I've heard that from from uh, you know. I've, I have a source who told me that. You just didn't have the votes. What like the CPC would have splintered on it? Yeah, that the that the bipartisan bill would have passed anyway. Even if even if they that's really I don't know. Yeah. Even even if the whole CPC had stayed together. Or was it that they just weren't um, going to? That they weren't going to. I, I I think I didn't get I didn't get many more details after that. But I just you know I Jaya Paul did not have the votes to stop it, and so that's that's why it happened. Now, yeah, yeah. It, who knows? But like that's uh, not that that excuses it. I mean, it's it's an embarrassment. I think they've been working on this on this now for for months. And they've whittled it down. They've negotiated against themselves. Um, and even if it, even if it eventually, even if some form of it does pass, I mean, you know, what's it going to be? A bunch of handouts to, to contractors to, to do things, or, you know, incentives to business. Like, it's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, like I've, I've I've certainly seen the the positive spin on on it that. You know, um, I think Jonathan, Jonathan Chait of New York Magazine, a big fan of mine, big fan. Um, he, uh, <laughs> he, but, but he said, you know, that um, the Biden should just take the deal that Manchin is offering him right now. The thing about Chait is that whether or not you agree with him on this kind of stuff, when he talks about D.C. politics like this, what he's basically doing, I mean, he, he is acting as a dominant part of the democratic establishment but like that is who he is representing oh, when he's course. saying that kind of stuff you know he's not like um and this is like a little inside baseball if you guys don't know who this is that's that's totally fine but there's this guy edward isaac devore and he's basically like sean hannity <laughs> right so like and, and chate isn't quite is that how you are. pronounce is that how you pronounce his last name i have no idea i'm just i'm, I'm just i, I, I always pronounce it dover Interesting. Oh yeah, maybe it is. The, anyway, whatever whatever his name is, um, but but Chait seems to think that they should just take that. And then I think I saw somebody say, "Look, you know, if if Manchin isn't down with the Tyler tax credit, you just do it with Romney." Um, which, which look, you know, like if that works, I could see the argument for it. But I just don't understand where this idea that you can trust any of these guys is coming from. And again, and I think that comes back to like breaking the infrastructure bill off of Build Back Better and and using it as and like basically giving up their leverage. Although from what you're saying, it sounds like maybe their leverage was gone. It sounds like maybe CPC couldn't do anything about it, in which case maybe it was the right move. I mean, that's I I don't I think I think voting against it was 
would have been the right move. I think as soon as they whittled it down, they should have the, the congressional progressives should have just said, "We're walking away from the deal." And if you don't, if you're, it, let me let us know when you're ready to talk. I mean, that's that's sort of been my attitude this entire time. I I'm I know that the uh, Build Back Better is you know climate spending or whatever, but it's a lot of it's there's no there's no real enforcement mechanisms. There's just incentives for for businesses. So I'm not thrilled about that either. I just I don't know. I, it feels like this is sort of a misfire anyway, because they went for infrastructure over uh, voting rights and securing elect, like uh, our electoral infrastructure. Like that's that's the thing that they really needed to do. They should have they should have immediately, as soon as they took office back in in fucking January, uh, they should have moved on redistricting reform so that we did not have the looming disaster that we're facing now in 2022. Um, that would have been good. Uh, frankly, if we want to do anything in, over the next you know decade, that that had to have been done. So it's it's pretty bleak, man. It, it's all pretty bleak. Yeah, but I think that I mean, it isn't 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 the isn't the counter argument to this? And this is like it, it, going to go a little bit longer here because I, I think this is a really an interesting conversation to have because isn't the counter argument to what you're saying about like, why not just blow it up for the CPC when they, once they broke off uh, infrastructure and BBB um, uh, build back better, what would be, what, what what's the medium to long-term political? Oh, I was saying before then, I was saying before then they should have walked away from the deal long before it, it got split up. Um, okay. Okay. But, 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 but what is the political utility of that? Like, because, you fo- because I think the, the, the counter, the counter argument here would be that they are now in a politically for the next year, they're in a stronger position for legislating, uh, with Biden and with the house and the Senate in 2022 than they would have been if they had blown up his signature legislation before it even got to the floor. I mean, because that that would be the counter argument, right? I mean, uh, yes. In look, in theory, that's that's true. In theory, that's true. In practice, probably won't be because Biden has been a conservative his entire life. He's always been closer to Mansion than than to uh, than to AOC and the Squad, right? Like, this is not a. You're not dealing with somebody who is who is really excited to pass progressive legislation this is somebody who came out when progressives wanted 3.5 trillion as a compromise uh and mansion said 1.5 uh biden came out and said like what 1.8 wasn't that his his compromise 1.9 like not even not even in the middle (laughs) he didn't even he didn't even meet them in the middle He, he he tacked way closer to the conservatives i mean look i if, if you're a progressive lawmaker, you have to understand that everything is against you. All of it. The, your own party uh, probably doesn't like you very much. Your, uh, the donors to your party definitely don't like you. The people who have, st- have stake in the current status quo really don't like you. And the opposition party doesn't like you. You don't really have many allies except other progressives. The only way you're going to get things done is if the party establishment recognizes the fact that they need you to pass things. Now, in, in this instance, they have you and things didn't get passed. 
So but who they really needed in this situation was Manchin, the conservatives. So, I mean, look, my attitude on this is that you need to, if you're, if you're a progressive, you need to show that they need you. And they did not do that. They could have walked away early on in this when they stripped out all the, all the good stuff from Build Back Better that they stripped out of it. They, they could have walked away and said, you know what, when you're ready to deal, you come back to us. Biden needs a win here. He needs a win. Uh, the Democrats need a win. They need to show that they're not completely incompetent. And frankly, they got that with the bipartisan bill. You'll see that if once, once it's officially ruled dead, Democrats will, will, will sell that bipartisan bill as we did something historic. We did something great. And their voters, God bless them, will eat it up. <laughs> so. Well, look, I'd like, I'm, 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 I'm not, definitely not disagreeing with you on that one. I think yeah. that is, uh, I mean, like they're already doing that. And that's, look, that's, that's, uh, that's, 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 politics. Biden, it is what it is, right? Like, you know, uh, you're always going to frame what your side is doing as, 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 as the strongest possible approach to lawmaking. And, you know, man, we just, we got so close. We just couldn't do, I mean, that's probably what it's going to be if, if, and when Bill Back Better dies. But I think that, I, I, I guess what I was trying to say about CPC is, if they're kind of looking medium to long term within the Democratic House Democratic Caucus power structure, it's hard for me to see how the 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 approach works um, to strengthen their hand if they had blown up the deal. But maybe you're right because you know if you look at the House Freedom Caucus and the GOP, they've basically gotten everything that they want and they've taken a much harder line than almost any, you know, uh, political caucus within, within a party caucus that I've ever seen. So who knows? Who knows? Uh, but anyway, right, why, there are uh, you know, we're almost done here, but um, why don't you tell people about Opt Out, which is, which is your other project? Uh, yes. So we, uh, Opt Out is a news aggregator app. It's curated by journalists. Um, it's for independent media outlets like Flashpoint. And the Daily Poster. Uh, Alex Koch. Yep. Alex Koch, uh, who's a money, a, an award-winning, just found that out, money and politics reporter at CMD. Uh, he's the one who had the original idea. I partnered with him, and, we, and we've, we've managed, with the help, generous help of Progressive Coders Network, to make this, this app for iOS. Um, eventually, we hope to get it onto Android. But you can, it's basically Apple News for, for progressives. You can stream podcasts, you can watch YouTube videos, and you can read articles right through the app. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And I would say that, um, you know, it's one of the things that I'm proud to be a member of, uh, as is uh, Discontents, which is a newsletter that I do with a bunch of independent journalists. Um, as is Colin, the work that we're doing on here with the with the ability to talk to a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life. I think there's a lot of like really exciting media opportunities right now, especially for people in progressive media that we really, really, really need to to take. You know, we need to we need to grab uh, as quickly as possible. And if if you're listening to this uh, after the fact, as you would be if you're going to be one of the people I'm going to talk to here. Um, 
the Android uh, capability is coming. I, I don't know when, but I know that it is coming. So yes, uh, just just stick with us, and and it will be for opt out as well. So like you know, like these these apps tend to go through Apple first. So it's just the way that it is. So Walker, so thanks so much. Uh, where can people find your work? Hey, thanks for having me on. Um, so people can read my work in the Daily Poster. And uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's basically the only place that I'm, I'm publishing right now. We cross-publish with a bunch of other places as well, um, like Jacobin uh, and the American Prospect sometimes, sometimes other places like Newsweek. So that's, yeah, that's where you can read my stuff. The Daily Poster, dailyposter.com. Absolutely. And, and just as we're signing off here, I'm seeing Manu Raju from CNN uh, tweeting that Manchin is now on a call with Senate Democrats as they discuss their path forward. So who knows what's going to happen? At least this guy stays in the news, which is really the only thing that he uh, cares about, really. So anyway, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find me at owenhiggins.substack.com, E-O-I-N-H-I-G-G-I-N-S.substack.com. Remember that Tuesday, December 28th, we're going to be talking with Jeet here, the writer Jeet here, and that is going to be starting at 4 p.m. We're going to talk about the year in politics, and then on December 29th, we're going to be talking with the reporter Edward Angueso on tech, the year in tech that Edward is a reporter for Vice. Um, And also on January 4th, uh, we are going to be talking with the journalist Abby Martin, talking about the U.S. military's involvement with the environmental disaster at Red Hill, which I believe is in Hawaii, and we're going to talk about Agent Orange and some other stuff. So those are the next three shows. Hope to hear and see you then. All right. Thanks a lot, guys.